All right. We won't tell them that your room is a mess. We'll just jump right into the interview. All right. Welcome ah, back. You're so wonderful. You love me anyway. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to let our special guest, the legendary person that Doc knows, and it wasn't at a bar, uh, Shane Grease, introduce himself. And I probably butchered that, didn't I? No, you got it right. Wow. Uh, okay. Put that in your calendar. I know. My, my drill sergeant at basic training called me Gears, which that's cool. Is the worst anybody's ever massacred my name. But to this day, I won't ever forget it. Great American he was, though. But uh, yeah, my name is Shane Grease. Uh, been, on, uh, been on active duty the last 27 years as an infantry officer. Uh, first came in the Army 32 years ago with the Army National Guard. Um, Served in Germany for three years, Korea for nine, did a year in Afghanistan, been down here in Australia for two and a half years and counting. Um, served as a rifle platoon leader, scout platoon leader, rifle company commander, headquarters company commander, battalion S3, battalion XO, battalion commander, speech writer, deputy chief of staff. And uh, now I'm the US Army attache at the US Embassy in Canberra, Australia which is why I'm wearing this ridiculous outfit because that's how they make us dress at the embassy. I thought it was because maybe a kangaroo had challenged you to a duel. Oh, uh, no, don't mess with the bucks. Those guys are stacked. I've heard, I've heard. So Nothing is it as dangerous there as they say? The land where everything is designed to kill a human. Ah, just the salty, salty saltwater crocs up north. All right, are you, are you having to wrestle those drop bears we keep hearing so much about? Yeah, they're, they're enough. They're good. <laughs> All right. All right. So the second part of this introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So I actually heard of and met uh, Shane through the Galaxy's Edge community. But what about you, Doc? Tell me uh, what booze was involved. I, I don't actually know that any booze was involved. So Shane was kind of infamous among the Liberty Kong crowd, particularly with um, my friends James and Ginger, who are I've known you for years and years and years. And so um, so I, I knew many things about Shane before I actually ever officially met Shane. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's how I met him. Because lot, not my being drunk, but everybody drunkenly telling me stories and going, you have to meet Shane. Have you met Shane? No, dude. I, this is my first year at the con. Oh, He's not in country right now. He's never in country. So so even when it's not you and booze, there's booze involved. It's like there's a pattern here. Shh. shh. Yeah. I like to start with B. Sadly, I'm I'm sober 100% right now, though my job does involve drinking. Everybody's familiar with the Game of Thrones quote, I drink and I know things. Well, that's what an attache is, so... In two I, hours, I, I have that, to start my marathon drinking and working routine. So I, I thought you the caught me at an was, off moment right now. I see you're very upset by this. I thought that drinking was just implied with the infantry status. At least that's what they told us at Benning. That's right. Well, they said in this job, I got to sacrifice my liver for freedom, but uh, it's already well on its way. We appreciate your service, sir, and your liver. We appreciate it too. <laughs> it salutes you right back. 
<laughs> so, um, on to the religion questions. Babylon 5, Terra Nova, or Firefly? Firefly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just a series that I liked and I enjoyed. Um, and then the movie that came out after that due to the fan outrage of canceling the show. I know. Um, but yeah, you know, I've had a great time uh, watching the series and the movie. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, enjoy the fans. The, the, you know, the excitement generated about, around the show is something else. I mean, that is a, that is an insane fan base. Insane and, you know, Yes. My kind of yes, they are. They're very caring, though, and very dedicated. But and I thought the movie was a wonderful craft of storytelling because you could you didn't have to have known the series to watch it and enjoy it. But if you did know the series, you didn't feel like you were being beaten with this information that you already knew. Do you ever go so to the brown coat ball? No, I was I asking him. No, I have not. Um, but. I will uh, say that one time I was at Dragon Con uh, with my friend Doug Burby, and uh, <laughs> we may have run into the real Captain Mal and Wash slumming with us, drunk as shit. And uh, they are a hoot in person, I'm here to tell you. I know how yeah. much booze Doug took to that con. I know how that, was, much that was many years back. Not but that con. Memorable. Mm. Yes, a literal trunk load from the class six, apparently. It so was, it was something. Um, now we're going to go with the polytheistic questions: Sword of Shannara, Wheel of Time, or Forgotten Realms. Yeah, or came actually on this one. I'm hmm? not familiar with any of them. Okay, fine. So, How about, about Lord Pern. of the Rings? Pern is not sci-fi, you idiot. It, it, Oh, you did it. You did it. I'm clipping that. That's going on my <laughs> ring. Drum. I got her two minutes. I am going to kill you. It's sci-fi. She won a nebula. It's sci-fi. <sighs> One word. Dragons. Fantasy. One Done. word. Uh, two words. Genetic engineering. Sorry. as <laughs> Shane's like, I have no idea why they're arguing. That's fine. No, carry on, please. It's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, or Harry Potter, then? I like Game of Thrones, even though the uh, ending was shit on HBO. But No, no, no. They were beta testing it for Martin. So okay. the books but will have a better ending. Case, in that case, fantastic. Did you ever listen to the Angry Staff Officer podcast where they broke all that stuff down? Like the, no, the failure but now of I'm going to. They, they just take everything from like the logistics side and tell why everything about that movie is a failure from start to finish. It's glorious. Yeah, I got to say, every time I watch the battles, I cringe. You know, I get it. It's fantasy. But, you know, let's not discard tactics for goodness sakes. I mean, having people just run at each other with swords is, well, dumb. Dumb. Yeah. However, I've do dumb things. Yeah. True. True story. So, um, since we like both science 
and fantasy. What was your first love though? Sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, sci-fi. Easy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a young kid in the seventies and, you know, we were still putting men on the moon back in those days. And you know, I remember as a little kid wanting to be an astronaut when I grew up, as a lot of us did. Um, that was still, you know, something in the national zeitgeist, you know, people were talking about NASA all the time and then where we're going next. And, and then, you know, Star Wars came out and I remember being a five-year-old kid, seeing it in the theaters, you know, super excited. And that, that got me hooked. And then Battlestar Galactica came out soon after that. And yeah, I was set for life. Big, big sci-fi ever since. Well, that but fits. The has put out a lot of great stuff over the, over the years, uh, before and since. And uh, yeah, I'm still a big fan. So what was your first memory of the speculative fiction genre? I'm sorry? What was your first memory of sci-fi and fantasy? Yeah, I guess it would be, you know, Star Wars. Those were the biggest impacts on me as a, as a young kid. That really set the hook. You know, Darth Vader and, you know, Luke Skywalker and all the rest. And, of course, you had the sequels, which when you're five and the next sequel comes out three years later, that's a lifetime. You got to wait. And then you got to wait another three years for the next one. Again, another lifetime. That's torture for a kid, for goodness sake. These kids today, they get Star Wars movies every year. They don't know what the struggle was like. No, they have no clue. Now you got to shake your fist at the sky and, you know, tell them how you walked uphill both ways. Yeah, so uh, what is no. Absolutely. Uh, so what is it that you love about speculative fiction as a genre? I think uh, cause I'm not a hard science person. So, you know, I'm a bit more into space opera, uh, more into the idea of the, the human condition being overlaid against, you know, different backgrounds and environments. Uh, I'm more into the characters and the, the situations. You know, obviously Star Wars is not hard science. It's hot garbage <laughs> when it comes to science. But it's entertaining as hell to watch. Uh, just like Battlestar Galactica. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, these things move around like they're in atmosphere. I, yeah, I get it. Uh, still, I love the show. Um, I would say so Battlestar had show. more science. Say again? Battlestar had more science. Yes, absolutely. Acknowledged. Acknowledged. But uh, I'm more about the human stories. Uh, and, you know, I, I absolutely is where I'm going to go on a Battlestar tangent here. Uh, it's clearly influenced my work. But, uh, you know, the original Battlestar Galactica is, is awesome. I love it. I still love it to this day. The new series, I also love it. I treat them as equals, very separate things, very different vibes off those shows. Uh, but I dig them both. All right, so how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into your writing stories in the, the wild space that it is? So I think uh, I started getting into short stories when I was in junior high school, um, writing them, uh, reading them, listening to audio versions of them. You know, what was it? Harlan Ellison, A Boy and His Dog. Um, heard that one on audio back in junior high. That was a long time ago. Um, that sort of thing was very interesting. Um, 
And so there was a group of us uh, nerdy kids back in junior high that were uh, into writing short stories and speculative fiction. And, you know, it, was, it sort of took root back then. And, uh, you know, it was 30 something years ago when I said, you know, well, I want to write books someday. And uh, sort of took a back back seat to the career. And uh, now, obviously, I'm, I'm taking it serious. And that's where I want to go. We, we knew you were taking it serious when you asked to come on our podcast. That's very same. much so. Absolutely I love the podcast. <laughs> All right. So many authors let their own real life experience influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? So my, the, the two books that I've written so far, working on the third, almost done. Um, yeah, my military career is clearly shown through in the writing. Um, I'm a big military history nut. That comes through in the writing. Uh, the two are intermeshed, intertwined. The characters in my books are based loosely on people I've known over the years and some of the dumb shit that I've seen. Uh, some of the great stuff, too. Um, if you read it, these books are very much oriented towards the veteran community. If you're a veteran, you're going to read my books and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know a son of a bitch just like that. Or I know this great person I used to work for just like that. It'll resonate uh, because I'm drawn upon real people and real experiences when I write about these. So, yeah, it's all inter interwoven in there. Okay. You're muted. Not everybody in my books is bad. But a lot of them are. You're, you're muted, Doc. I hate doing that. Okay. So you mentioned that you're you're in the army and mm -hmm. that you've spent lots of time in with the, I can't ever say that phrase without wanting to giggle. Um your time in the big weenie and how it affects your stories you tell. Oh gosh. Oh god. Yeah. So it's given me endless, infinite material to work with. Soldiers, NCOs, officers, they <laughs> all are gold. You, the things that they do, you just, I don't even have to embellish some of the stories. I just change the names to protect the guilty. Um, <laughs> but I haven't done that exactly I, I it's fiction i change it up a little bit but holy moly i wouldn't have just so to you don't get sued <laughs> say again just so you don't get sued if nothing else right yeah, i have a writing project that i'm going to do in the future where i'm going to use a pen name just for that reason because <laughs> things might be a little too close to actual events stay tuned yeah, she, she laughs at the whole big green weenie thing, which came about because an officer always told us that that's what the army was because everyone got to bend over and take it. Oh. And I never forgot right? that expression. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. I, I It's it's so accurate. Um, We did have one soldier who tried to turn in his two weeks notice. Of course. Of course. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did it work? Why didn't I think of this? 
<laughs> oh, it didn't work. And he's like, and he just didn't come in. He's like, well, I turned in my two weeks notice. I had, uh, when I was battalion commander, 148 infantry, a basic training battalion, we had two go AWOL. And uh, they used, <laughs> they got their, their legal advice from a website on the internet because the internet knows everything. And so they learned that if they went on, they went AWOL and they were gone for 30 days, they'd be dropped from the rolls. They also learned on said website that if they drove down Fort Sill, Oklahoma and turned themselves in after drop from the rolls, that the army would just process them out. And that would be the end of it. I mean, eventually. That's what usually happens, except when I'm the dick battalion commander and I sent people out there to bring them back so I could court martial them, much to their chagrin. So the key takeaway is don't believe anything you read on the internet and assume that your battalion commander is a dick. You'll be fine. That's why as a good sergeant, I avoided the BC like he had the plague. As most of them do. I thought it was because of your habit of getting demoted. I mean, that only happened three times. And to be fair, being a corporal sucked anyway. <gasps> Did you see the Army Times that had an article apparently and they're now going to make people be corporals before they get their NCOs? No, I did not see that. But yeah, I don't think Josh really Gaines would comment on, on I think nobody's policies. ever going to get promoted again. Well, the second time they realized that I wasn't going to hold corporal, so they just made me a sergeant instead. Because, you know, that's going to work out for everybody. <laughs> I guess it's true. If you mess up enough, they'll promote you. <laughs> <laughs> Shane's got no comment on that one. <laughs> so, um, Luck and timing. Luck and timing. <laughs> so... Does it affect how you engage as a reader with the stories you read? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you want to you want to try and obviously give the reader something that they're going to find entertaining, that they're going to find something in there that's important to them. Um, you don't want to just you know, everybody knows you don't want to do info dumps and you don't want to get too technical and you want to have something that people appreciate that people can sort of get into and it sparks an emotional response. And I think that's hard to do as a writer, but I think that's the ultimate goal as you put a story together. All right. So transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about things from the fan angle. And I'm stealing these questions from Doc because she normally gets to answer these or ask these. But uh, have you gotten any cool fan art or had anybody cosplay your characters yet? Cosplay? No, though. That would be cool. If somebody wants to, I'd be love. I'd really be interested in seeing that. Send me pictures uh, of the cosplay of my characters. Nothing else. For the love of God. No. See, I think uh, that's a challenge, and there are going to be some veteran readers. They're going to be like, uh, I should you. put that out there. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, my daughter did fan art uh, for the book, the first book, and uh, it's pretty cool. She uh, sort of anime style, but it, it is really cool. And uh, that's the only fan art I've gotten thus far. But uh, yeah, it, she did hey. a really good job. 
Her being a fan is much better than being embarrassed. Not embarrassed. So, by it. Love it. <laughs> uh, let's see. I can tell you when your episode is going live. So you will be out at the end of this month. So if they join your newsletter after hearing this, can you promise next month you'll include the, that picture your daughter drew so they can see the fan art? Yes. All they got to do is sign up for your newsletter? Yes. Seems like a fair trade to me. Outstanding. So, so you heard it. His website and contacts will be in there. Sign up for his newsletter before the end of the month. And next month, you're going to get to see that awesome art. All right. So have you um, – what's the next thing? Uh, has anybody asked for your autograph um, out in public? Uh, I've received lots of messages asking for signed books, uh, tons of them. So I'm happy to do that. And I, I, I get tickled every time somebody asks me to sign a book. I, I think it's it's great. I'm happy to do it. I've never told anybody no. I won't tell anybody no. Um, I appreciate the fact that people are enjoying the work. And uh, I thanks for enjoying it. That's all. I, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into it, and I, I'm I'm glad people like it. So, so we want to know what the people like then. So, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of everything you've written? Uh, so right now, I'm working on my first series. Uh, I finished the first two of three. Uh, the third one's almost done. I uh, should have that finished up, I think, at the end of this month. Uh, the manuscript, anyway. Probably won't be out published street legal for a bit. Um, but what it's about is a couple of human civilizations. Uh, I don't have any aliens in this, though I do mention there was some contact at some point. But you have an advanced human civilization that is on the losing end of a war and they run off to try and find some place to hole up for a while. They find a distant planet that they believe has been forgotten about uh, that used to be inhabited by humans. They show up, it still is, uh, but these people have 1950s level technology and now you have a spacefaring you know, civilization shows up, most of them are starving, their spaceships are falling apart, they have nowhere else to go, so they make contact. And there are factions within this spacefaring uh, star nation that are fighting with each other over the future of their people, uh, whether or not to integrate peacefully with the people, these primitive, primitive people of this world, or to take over. And that's that's where the conflict is in the story. Um, how these factions fight with each other for dominance and how they interact with these people who up until now are just minding their own damn business until these space people showed up. And now they want to be included. And not necessarily everybody in this world wants them there. So it's an interesting tale and lots of bloody violence. The best kind of violence. The best kind of violence. Indeed. You got to unmute to ask your questions, by the way, just in case you forgot. Thank you. Details, details. So, we're here. We get the premise. Was it overindulging in grog, Ouija boards, psychedelics? Obviously not. Psychedelics, sorry. Expired candies. Yeah. Oh, was it too many sleepless nights going to school? <laughs> no, I uh, I was gonna do 
in alternate history. Um, that's how it started. I, I, I'm a big uh, history nut, as I told you before. Um, and I had just gotten done touring a couple of battlefields on the Korean Peninsula. And uh, I learned a lot and uh, it kind of inspired me. And I thought, well, I want to maybe write an alternate history. And I started writing that. And then it sort of expanded into, well, what if this planet was kind of paralleling human history and their 1950s technology and these space people showed up? And how would that play out? And it sort of grew legs from there. And that, that, that was the genesis. That was the kernel that started growing, you know, and turned into this big, long story. And, you know, I hadn't written a novel before. And uh, for some dumb reason, I decided to write a series as my first outing, which, boy, howdy, I do not recommend that to anybody. That is, but uh, it's been fun and it's been a learning experience and uh, I'm loving every minute of it. Uh, but what really got me right was my wife told me I needed to get a hobby and uh, I figured this, this was a good way to for an outlet for some of my energies. So that's where it started. I've noticed the pattern of our uh, it's it's I'm blaming I'm blaming Seska. So a lot of the veterans that we interview always say they start <laughs> I saw that say they they jump right into maybe it's the military thing, but a lot of them just jump right into a novel series from the beginning and never do the short story route. Uh the, the army types seem to make that a habit. Yeah, maybe it's because we're a bunch of overachievers. I don't know. Or, you know, we don't have realistic expectations on what our limitations are. Hard Probably that Siska's still Doc, muted. I know. She, she's cursing us, probably. No, I'm going, I have no idea what you're talking about. As, you know, I'd never been on a podcast. Hey, you want to host one? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no. You can blame Casey for that one. And you muted again. I do blame Casey, who's Air Force. And she accepts the blame. So, um, let's talk about your cover, though. Because that is some really awesome art. And can you talk about what went into it? Like, what your feedback involved with it was? JR, you putting up the cover. Yeah, um... So the cover looks great and uh, I really like it, but that is not the design that I pitched to my publisher. Um, my publisher is Eric Flint of 1632 fame, who is a, is a great guy and I love him to death. Uh, he's been really supportive. He's been a great mentor throughout this process. Couldn't have asked for a better person to, to learn and write for. Uh, but uh, when I first, pitched the idea, I sent him my daughter's fan art because uh, I explained to her a concept of what I would like for the cover. Uh, I like people on uh, my book covers. And I said, hey, I don't want to have a book cover with a bunch of spaceships on it because nobody likes that. So Eric was great. He said, hey, send me your concept and we'll give it to the artist. And um, and then I got a book cover with spaceships on it, uh, which I thought was funny. But 
it turns out the spaceship, you know, art, it was fantastic. I don't know who the artist is that did it. I don't know where they came up with the idea, but uh, I think they knocked it out of the park. Uh, I'm glad they didn't take my advice because uh, this is a far better end state and I really appreciate the effort they put in on it. it, it I think it looks really great. I really love that there's so many colors to it. I mean, it really makes it pop in on a bookshelf because it's not just Starship on a black background through right. space. Right, which I hate. I think those are really unattractive. Yeah, there's a there's a modern edge to it. And actually, the ships kind of remind me of Robotech. Um, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And but there's like a modern edge, but also enough classic that, and the typeset is really well done, so that it's not you know, like the title super stands out. Yeah, no, I you think it's really well done. I'm sorry, say I, that again. I would totally get that framed. You should do that. Well, I'm gonna have to. Well, I'm gonna do it. I got it on digits, so I suppose I might. <laughs> The so, um, they say spaceship ass moves cover or moves books, so I guess I guess they were right. Yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a really great one. I, I like it. So moving on, what would be your thirty second elevator pitch of this? Nick is going to miss having covered talked about that art cover. By the way, I would say people from outer space show up on a planet with people with nineteen fifties technology, and they start killing each other. <laughs> so what makes your series kind of special i mean you're definitely going with the lost colony almost motif or not lost and they're just deliberately there like deliberately not wanting to deal with people so they're they're a lost colony uh it's explained in the book uh, i'm not giving much away uh they were colonized they were an advanced uh society on their part of this Federation of Worlds, if you will, an ancient war breaks out and the surface of the planet is sterilized in the course of that war. Uh, the jump point that led to their system was destroyed during the course of that war. Everyone believed that the surface was, you know, for all intents and purposes, devoid of any life. Um, and so because it's there's no jump point there anymore, no one travels and transits the system anymore. They thought everybody was killed there. It's basically forgotten about for about 10 millennia. And that's why these people who are losing this intergalactic war or interstellar war rather, think that this would be a possible place where they could find, you know, sanctuary and hide out. Middle of nowhere, capable of sustaining life and there's no people on it. And then they show up and said, oh heck, that's not the word they use. My language is a little more colorful in the books. But uh, there were survivors, and they rebuilt society from nothing. And But they're a little technologically further behind. And now these folks from outer space show up, and now they want to be part of their world, and they're not that excited about it, most people. So Some people are, because the people, the space people, have all these wonderful technologies and military edges and things that they can use for their political advantage. And so everybody is, all the nations of this world, the, poli the political classes are licking their boots 
trying to gain favor with the space people and the space people are fighting amongst themselves to figure out how they're going to proceed. And there are factions that want to just get along nice. And there's factions that want to take over. And it's, it's a lot of political intrigue. There's a lot of military stuff going on. There's a lot of shady back door stuff. It's, it's, I think it's great stuff. So one of the tropes that you see a lot with that you see a lot with that kind of setting is that uh, it's harder to bounce back the second time because all of the easy to achieve resources that you would need to start that building are harder to get. Do you do you touch on that with, or do you just start with the situation as is? No, I just jump right in. Society is what it is. There's two billion people on this planet. They've got 1950s level technology. They're all fighting this big war and the aliens show up and everything comes screeching to a halt. Okay. Speaking of tropes, uh, which ones then do you feel like um, from the ashes of the dead world hits the best? Uh, you know, I, I don't have faster than light travel. Uh, I use the jump point system. That's kind of important in the story. Uh, for them to navigate so far off the beaten path. That's an important piece to it. Uh, the, the, the space fighting, uh, I do the relativistic space fighting. You know, you don't have fighter planes in outer space like Star Wars. I, I try to give a nod to actual science, even though I'm not wedded to it and I'm definitely not a scientist. Uh, or a physicist or any of those other ists out there. Uh, I just do my best as a grunt to, to muddle my way through that. Uh, relying more on, you know, the human condition and the people who are in those ships fighting. Each other. Um, the, you know, plays on the, the interstellar empire tropes. I use that. The, the trope of the royal family is... I have a constitutional monarchy in there. I'm hitting on a lot of tropes that have been used before, um, but I think I spin it a little differently um, in, a, in a fresh way that I hope the reader appreciates. Okay. And so what uh, uh, genre or subgenre, I should say, of sci-fi would you classify this? Uh, space opera, definitely. Uh, definitely not hard science fiction. If you're a hard science kind of guy, probably not going to like this much. But if you're a, a veteran type and you like grunt stuff and you like Air Force stuff and you like soldier and Marine stuff, you're going to love it. In fact, my Marine aviator colleague at work read it and he read about my Marine aviators in there and he was laugh out loud. He could not get enough of it. Could He ate it up. Um, so if you've been in uniform before, this stuff resonates. Duh. Fair enough. So, I, I had to keep muting because I have to yell at the dog to stop eating my bed. Uh, so, with, what's that? Is it Elvis? I think so. Yes. Did, did I not mute it? <laughs> I, I blame Seska. Somehow it's her fault. So, tell me about your, uh, your main character. What makes them stand out in the crowded world of science fiction? Uh, so my protagonist, and uh, there perhaps could be two protagonists, but the protagonist that I've 
designated is uh, he's a naval officer with this star nation who is tasked with saving the government of his world in the closing days of a losing war. He's not the most talented officer out there. He's pretty average. Uh, he's risen the ranks because everybody else is getting killed. Uh, he's given it. He's very dedicated, very hardworking. His ethics are all in line, but he's just caught up in something that's way bigger than him trying to do the best he can. And, and the losing, you know, the end of the war, he decides that he's going to make the ultimate sacrifice and leave his wife and children behind to carry off the government and the Royal family, because that's his duty. Um, and then as things unfold, he gets caught up in palace, con you know, palace politics and the, the political class and things that he never cared about before and didn't want to deal with before. And he's being thrown into the mix and uh, he's forced to deal with these issues. And uh, he's caught up in things that he didn't ever think he would be, didn't ever want to be. And uh, he ends up taking on uh, some leadership positions and making some decisions and doing some things that uh, he was unprepared for and unwilling to do at the beginning of the story without giving anything away. So sometimes when you write, secondary characters sort of take on a life of their own and become equally as memorable. So do you have any of those in your story that you want to share? Oh, God, yeah. Um, that, that's where I say the second protagonist. So a couple of these characters started getting legs and, and carrying away. So on the other side of that is the folks that are in the 1950s level technology living on the planet. Uh, there's a couple of characters that uh, I modeled off of British soldiers. And they're colorful characters to say the least in language and deed and how they carry themselves. And uh, there's one or two characters that kind of steal the show. Uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, I got this outline, I have an idea where the story's going. And then as I start writing, some of the characters just took off. And uh, yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting, pretty interesting guy. They're, they're definitely grunts. They're lower enlisted guys. Those are the most fun, I think, to write about. Um, my most colorful characters in the series are my fighter pilots, who are basically aviator grunts, and my real grunts on the ground. And they're the most fun. They're the most colorful. They're the most interesting let's just put it that way. I, I think the most colorful is here to life they, it'll, they'll resonate if you've been <laughs> around these kind of people they'll, you'll recognize them so do you have any actual bad guys in the story oh yeah 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 so, so uh the bad guys are uh, also military officers who are driven by power and politics um, people who believe that they know better than everyone else and are better suited to chart a course for everyone else. Um, but you know, doesn't matter how they get to this position of power. It's all a means to an end. They believe whatever they need to do to get there is fine because once they're in charge, they're gonna do the right thing for everybody because they know better. And horrible things are done 
because they believe, well, yes, these are bad, but the things I can do well once I get into power, well, it'll it'll all even out. It never so seems Yeah, your bad guys have all rationalized evil, evil things in order to achieve the greater good in their own mind. So if your characters met you in a back alley and they knew who you were and what hell you've put, treated them to, how would you see that playing out? Uh, the protagonists, the good guys, we'd get stinking drunk together. Probably have a great time. <laughs> the antagonist would probably put a bullet in the back of my head. Well, you know, at least that's quick, right? Merciful, which is more than I can say for some of his other victims. So, give that away. since we've talked about characters, what is your favorite character archetype? Oh, uh, usually the uh, <laughs> the slacker type. I love the slacker type. I don't know why, because I'm not one, but there's something about the slacker that I love. I just can't get enough of them. Would the enlisted people that have worked for you along the way say the same thing about you? <laughs> about, about me? Yeah, yeah about you loving the slackers. <laughs> oh, no, probably not. <laughs> okay. Or they wouldn't know I, that I love the slacker. Because, you know, sometimes you gotta, you, you just, you love the slacker, but at the same time, hey, you got caught. You gotta live up to the consequences. <laughs> I didn't Fair make enough. the rule. I so, still love uh, you, but I gotta punish you, that sort of uh, all right, so uh, what can you tell us about the larger universe? So in many stories and series, the good ones anyway, the world where the story is told is as much a character as a protagonist. You've sort of given us the setup of the larger conflict, but what can you tell us about the planet where this is all happening? So, well, where the story plays out, this planet is very isolated. It's in the middle of, you know, nowhere as far as the rest of the, the universe is concerned. It's off the beaten path. There's no trade routes going through there. There's no jump points. It's just a forgotten rock in the middle of nowhere, uh, which is precisely why these folks try to, to go there for oasis, for sanctuary. Uh, this is a place where they can go and hide. Um, the rest of the universe is thousands of settled worlds with you know, huge governments, large empires, many of them, um, just interacting with each other on a massive scale. This is just a backwater forgotten about in the middle of nowhere, um, which is why they go there. And that's where the friction starts. That's where your, your conflict is generated. And then you've got a bunch of people that are on this world that ask themselves, nobody asked you to come here and we don't want you to stay. And, that's how it sort of plays out. Okay, so from the ashes of a the dead of a dead world is clearly part of a series. You've told us that there are currently two books out, with the third one almost ish done. But what's That's next right. for them after this trilogy? Uh, so I want to move on to writing in somebody else's universe. 
Uh, I've already told Doug Burby and Mel Todd that I'd be writing a book in their universe. Uh, they've got a an urban Blood fantasy War? series. Yep, the Blood War series. Um, I've got a story in mind, and uh, I started writing on it a year ago. I kind of put it on the back burner so I could finish this series. Um, but I will be writing a book in the Blood War series soon. Uh, it'll be again very uh, army centric, uh, a lot of a lot of gritty combat stuff in there. Um, but I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, after that, I've got a uh, I've got my own little project that I'm looking forward to. Uh, the military does not have a doctrine for fighting in megacities, so I want to write a novel about fighting in megacities in the near future. And uh, kind of illustrate why we ought to have a doctrine for fighting in megacities. Uh, I can write professional papers all day long, nobody reads them, but uh, you write a novel and people read those. So I want to weave that narrative into a novel. We and then have I have another project after that. So I got a few in the queue. We have a strategy, it's three words, rods from God, no more megacity. <laughs> sure, uh, you know, that, that could be the direction, who knows. All right, Doc, next one is you. Oh, you're so weird, JR. Um, so every liter literary universe has its own consistent, internally consistent rules of science and technology. What sort of tech can we expect to see from the books? I mean, we know 1950s is from the planet, but what about, you know, ETs? Uh, well, extraterrestrials are not in this series. Okay, so but they're I not from, do, well, okay, nobody's from Earth, really. Yeah, so I do mention them in the first book. Um, there is a nod to a war in the distant past with aliens, uh, and then I do discuss the, the jump points are alien technology that basically human beings have learned to use, but haven't really learned to master. Um, so those were inherited over time, but again, that's an important plot point. I don't want to give too much away. Um, so not a lot of extraterrestrials discussed in the book, though they are talked about a little bit in passing. Um, I wanted to keep this human on human, uh, interaction. Uh, as far as the, the technology goes, you've got starships, uh, inner, galactic travel, interstellar travel. Um, I, I keep it relativistic. I, I don't, again, have faster than light travel with the ships themselves, but they use the jump points to achieve the same effect. But that creates the issue of if there's no jump point there, then they don't necessarily go that way. And it affects trade routes, military tactics and operational considerations and so forth. You're muted. Are these pew-pew chemical weapons or are they lasers? Uh, so I got all kinds. Uh, you got, yeah. So on the ships, you got your energy weapons, you got your missiles, you got some kinetic weapons, um, a lot of electromagnetic stuff, electronic countermeasures. Uh, then you have strike fighters and pursuit squadrons and electronic warfare packages and then of course you've got your infiltration forces 
with Marines and soldiers and armored suits and those guys, they boarding parties get on ships and uh, they're not above using chemical weapons and dropping nerve gas and compartments to kill people and flame units and you know, you name it. It's all in there. It's all on the table with a couple of glaring exceptions. Uh, they've got their own version of the Geneva convention. Uh, two things that are off the table is we don't destroy planets anymore and we don't destroy jump points anymore. Those are too valuable for humanity. So those are off the table. Those are big no-nos. But everything else. Some standards. You know, you got to have the standards, right? Right. You got to have some standards. So of all your technology, which one is the one that you would want the most for daily? Yes. Well, yeah, I guess the uh, armored combat suits are pretty good. I got a couple different versions. Um, the Marines have their own version for boarding parties and taking ships down. And then the army's got their own version or for surface warfare. They're like more like tanks, like bigger, bulkier, slower moving, but a lot more firepower, a lot more armor. Uh, so there's different variations on them, but yeah, those are pretty cool. So how would you abuse that if you had it like right now? <laughs> right now yeah probably just for running around in the woods and blowing up stuff i don't know just... <laughs> very grunt level answer yeah well, there's constructive that's kind of that. i can see he never dealt with a carpool line destroying all carpool lines would be my answer if you had one of those does that mean you would finally help australia win the emu war well i'd have to have some deep in-depth discussions with the australian government about that but I, I would offer that up as something I could help them out with because those things are bastards. <laughs> so um, you mentioned that you don't have any aliens in this universe. Are we no, ever are in the universe, just not well, in the story. Not in the story. Are we ever going to see them? Uh, if I do another series in this universe, perhaps. Okay. So, if how if you were to design an alien, and if you kind of have an idea of them in the back of your head, because at least you know what they built, right? Did, yeah. did you design them out of whole cloth or purpose purpose specific? I can talk. You're you're still good. You're still hanging in there. Hey, so I was thinking <laughs> cephalopod uh, type aliens, uh, moving in a you know a watery type environment. Uh, I think that would be interesting to explore. Uh, is, I, I think that would be pretty interesting if you had sentient like octopus or, you know, squid and they had their own levels of technology and um, that would be something interesting to explore or a type of alien to face off. Okay. The, not, uh... not as cool looking as some of the, you know, uh, man-sized tigers and stuff that some people write about. Not, I'm not knocking. That. Saying I'd go in a different direction if I were to write. It would definitely affect space combat because the the vehicles would have more mass because they'd have to be com flooded compartments. Yeah, yeah. Um, it yeah. could be interesting. It would, it would I, affect I everything. Pretty different to explore. Uh, that, that's where I would go. 
Okay, so clearly this interview is winding down. And But before we wrap up, was there anything about From the Ashes of the Dead World that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on? Uh, just buy it. That's yeah, a good answer. Love it. You'll love it. Buy it. So is it uh, in all formats or is it just ebook and paper right now? Uh, yeah, just ebook and paperback. You can get it on Amazon or you can go to ringoffirepress.com, uh, Eric Flint's website, and you can get ebook versions of that that are uh, not associated with Amazon. Uh, whatever's most convenient for you. Uh, any plans to do audio version at some point? Uh, actually, I, I've been in discussions with Eric about that, and uh, he's he's working on some different the way they go about doing audio books. There's different options. Uh, so he's, he's experimenting with it right now. Uh, my series is on the short list once he figures out which direction he wants to go with audiobooks. So uh, I will say I'm pretty sure we're going to have an audiobook out uh, eventually, but uh, that's not totally confirmed. Okay. So uh, for people who might not know who you are, we did promise them that they would uh, get a copy of that picture if they joined your newsletter. So can you tell all those people that are sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to know how they sign up, how they can find you? ShaneGrease.com. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll square that away. All right. That makes it easy. Any other socials that you use or just that? Just that one. Or you can find me on Facebook, too. I'm out there. I do have a uh, social media presence, and uh, I'd love to interact with folks that are interested in the work. So. All right. Well, you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack, and tack blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack, and tack blades. We are in discussion, as we've mentioned, about figuring out how to get that website up and running. So we have a landing page. And uh, we do have a Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. We have an email, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can send all hate mail to Nick Garber at uh, blastersandbladespodcast.com since he's not here to defend himself. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at Blasters and Blades face, uh, podcast over on the face space. So facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show uh, with a uh, monthly donation through the anchor.fm website, much like Patreon, or a one-time donation through buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. And be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And we will keep your host, Nick Garber and Doc Saska, duly intoxicated. And we will keep it up until their liver surrenders. Okay. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee overworked ADD Nick Garber and the crazy J.R. Handley. I'm Suska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next time, next time with more nerd culture, cheesy jokes, picking on J.R. And eventually one day he will learn what the nebulas are or what science is, maybe. Who knows? It could happen. Have a good